Welcome to the Perihididomi. I'm Zach McCoy. A quick warning, this episode refers to the existence of sex. And the details about the donkey, the yelling, and the smells, they won't make sense until later, but yeah, those are all real things from ancient texts on women's health. So if you're listening around little ones, be aware. Even late in life, as one of the oldest members of this patched-together family, everyone still knew her as the daughter. Over the years, she'd become an entirely different woman. So whenever they added anyone new to the family, within a few gatherings, she'd find herself returning to her roots, telling her story, that same story. She may have gotten old, but telling it never had. Now here she was once again, explaining to a whole new crop of siblings how she'd earned her nickname. It was a Sunday evening, and as they'd settled into their places at the love feast, she'd been asked to help them worship, to teach them about the wonderful encounter she'd had with Jesus many years before. They'd already warmly greeted each other with the hugs and kisses of holiness. They'd sung a few hymns to Jesus and taken turns expressing gratitude to him for recent kindnesses. And now, they hushed as she rose. Good evening, everyone. In the name of our Lord Jesus, the true Lord of all, who loves us and gave himself for us and has knit us into this remarkable patchwork family, welcome. I can't wait to hear more of each one of your stories, too. By now, I suppose I'm one of the few here who got to meet Jesus face to face. Am I really the only one here tonight? Well, one day each of you will meet him too. You're going to love it. I can guarantee you that. I may be twice the age of most of you, but in my mind, I'm still a youngin. I like to think I could run circles around most of you. Give me a try. In any case, you'd probably never guess that once upon a time I was ill, chronically ill for 12 years. It became everything I was. It took over my calendar, my marriage, all my relationships, and even my bank account. My illness swallowed me. I don't talk about it all that much unless I'm asked. I guess I figure outsiders would look at me weird for it. But I think about both my illness and that encounter every single day. Even now, there are days when I find myself grinning ear to ear happily surprised I'm not sick anymore. I had this bleeding problem. It started as spotting, but was happening pretty often. I thought maybe I was pregnant, but nope. It was way too much to be anything good. I quickly realized I was having a never-ending period. You can imagine how happy my husband was about it. God rest his soul. Don't get me wrong, he tried to be good about it at first, but you've heard the statistics, how many marriages are battlegrounds about physical intimacy. I know it's excruciating to not be able to touch your wife for weeks at a time without being excluded from the religious community for your uncleanness. I was suffering too, but what was I supposed to do? When it was just spotting, honestly, we didn't even think that much of it and went about our business as usual. But then it got worse. And I asked one of my friends if she'd ever had anything like it. Of course, then her husband found out. and Now my husband and I were under the spotlight, the whole synagogue intimately involved with my bleeding and our sex life. 
Why yes, Rabbi, I'd love for you to ask me another question about my bedroom habits. So then I began feeling guilty about it. Of course, I had vaguely remembered the passages from Leviticus, but I hadn't paid them much attention until then. Suddenly, they were such a constant source of discussion and worry that my husband and I both ended up with them memorized. All the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever else touches these things shall be unclean. And so on and so forth. My husband and I couldn't even sleep on the same bed. We couldn't accidentally sit on the same chair. I was forever unclean, and I risked contaminating him at every turn. I felt useless and exile in my own house. My suffering was overwhelming because it was on so many different fronts. I was fighting my husband and my nagging conscience. I was no longer welcome at the synagogue, isolated from my friends who might catch my guilt. They were more interested in correcting my quote-unquote obvious sins that were causing this than sitting in the theological discomfort of a hurting person whose God wasn't helping anyway. Beyond that, I was in consistent physical discomfort, anemic and crampy. To top it all off, I spent all our savings, and then some, on doctors and midwives and all kinds of kooks. Being broke made my husband even happier. But have you ever heard what some of these folks say about women's health? You may think I'm joking, but I had one try to feed me dried donkey feces. He insisted it was from a white donkey so it would heal me. Um, absolutely not. I refused that doctor and ended up at another whose brilliant idea was just to yell at me a lot. He made this paste and applied it to my whole lower half. I really thought it had a shot at working until his next step was just to yell, STOP BLEEDING! Then he asked me to stand in front of what he called an exam room, which turns out was just a pit. When I asked him what for, he yelled even louder, STOP BLEEDING! When he asked me to move to another pit, suggesting that his shouting might work there instead, I went and found someone else who was even worse. The next guy was a Greek doctor, very well known, and you guessed it, very expensive. His bright idea was that my uterus had wandered out of its place and might even suffocate me one day. It's like a wild animal that had gone restless. But we could coax it back into place by guiding it with pairs of smells. One smell you'd sit on, the opposite smell you'd breathe with your mouth. Pleasant smells would move the uterus in that direction, toward the opening that whatever smell was coming from. Foul smells would repel it. Obviously, I ran as fast as I could from that doctor, too. Too bad he already had my money. So this went on for 12 years. No one ever figured out a way to help. I just got worse and worse. Loneliness and desperation. Anger and depression. It was one thing to last a month. Then by month five or six, it felt like forever. By the end of a year, I just checked out. When the entire world insists on hollowing you out so relentlessly, so mercilessly, so apathetically, eventually you become a shell. I'd spend my days propped on the couch, dead to the world, drowning in the ebb and flow of the many kinds of silence. Then came year two. 
and then three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years. Once I gave up, I barely noticed the passing of those years. When my husband passed, I honestly found it a little relief. At least he didn't have to live in disappointment anymore. At least I didn't have to be a disappointment anymore. Thank God for the kind young couple that lived next door. They always brought me food and helped me with the essentials. They were always remarkably sweet to me and even fought for me against my landlord once. They were the first ones who told me a rumor about this Jesus guy. Of course, back in those days, if you had any friends who ran in revolutionary circles, you'd already heard all kinds of stories about the supposedly coming Messiah. I'd heard lots about it from one of my cousins who spent a few years living out in the desert and studying all about it. A few times, years before, on lucid and hopeful days, I daydream about the Messiah showing up and healing us all. I figured if the Lord healed people through Elijah, the Messiah needed to be at least that powerful, at least that good. But when my neighbor couple told me that Jesus had come to our town, I didn't respond well. Thank the Lord they insisted. I guess I was discouraged. If the synagogue wouldn't welcome me, why would the Messiah? Wouldn't he just run me off from God's presence like everyone else had? Wasn't that God's will? I told this to my neighbor, but she pushed back with hope, telling me that she'd heard Jesus was turning the whole religious establishment upside down, fixing the corruption, and going far beyond what any reformer had even dreamed. I still wasn't sure, so she pushed me harder, telling me that Jesus was healing people left and right. Maybe God had sent him to this area just for me. This might be my only chance. I was really rubbed the wrong way by her pushing, so I cut her off and ended the conversation. I guess I was probably a little mean and I knew it. But then that night I couldn't shake the idea. I didn't sleep all that much because I was wondering what if she was right? What if this was my chance? So the next morning I apologized. Of course, we were fine. We'd been through a lot together, and she's fantastic. So I asked her, where's he going to be? After she graciously forgave me, she told me that Jesus travels with a big entourage. A dozen men, lots of women who apparently pay for everything. And it's no quiet affair when he comes through town, especially now that his reputation is growing. She was so excited. I should go talk to him. I even let myself get a little excited. I should go talk to him. Unfortunately, that courage would falter later, but right then we needed to plan. What's it gonna be like? Am I just gonna go up to him and ask, hey, can you heal me? Talking through it, we decided that the crowd was the key. I could find him with the crowd and I could get close to him with the crowd and then maybe he'd do a mass healing and I could get in line. My neighbor pushed me just a little bit further. Yes, really, just ask him but I wasn't sure. So she offered to go with me and ask him for me. Now that was an idea I could get behind. Yeah, we could just ask him. But then once we got there, we got separated in the rush of the crowd. 
we were already there, so I couldn't turn around and not do it, but I lost a little of the gusto and I started questioning. What if he says no? He's really important and I'm unclean. Maybe he can only heal the people who are clean, who are worthy. Or maybe it's even worse. Maybe my uncleanness will spread to him like it could have to my husband. Maybe it will deactivate his miraculous power and keep him from healing anyone else. Maybe I'm going to ruin it all. But as Jesus passed by, I got one more kick of courage because I got an idea. If I could just touch the fringe of his robe, maybe that would be enough. I wouldn't have to ask. He wouldn't have to touch me and fully contaminate himself. Yes, this might work. So I decided and I went. Now's my chance to be rescued. I can't throw away my shot. I blocked out all my thoughts, blinded myself with courage and made a beeline. Forward, forward, forward. Duck a shoulder to avoid that person, turn sideways to squeeze between those two, eyes on the ground so no one recognizes the unclean woman, and suddenly there he was right in front of me. As I reached out, everything rushed back to me. Having lived in a flow of blood for 12 years, having suffered so much from so many healers, having wasted all my money, yet having benefited nothing and only gotten worse, having heard about Jesus and having come up behind him in the crowd, now I touched his robe. And immediately the fountain of my blood went dry. It was like an electric shock through my whole body. All of me knew that my misery was gone. And just as immediately, Jesus sensed something too, feeling the power course out of himself and into me. He spun around and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples gave him a hard time. Yeah, Jesus, it's shocking that in the middle of a crowded chaos, someone accidentally touched you. But he kept looking around for who had done it. Of course, I was still standing right there as this all played out. What was I gonna do? Run off and have Jesus chase me? That'd have been quite a scene. Given all my previous worries, now I was terrified. I felt myself dry up and was still fizzing from the jolt. Maybe Jesus felt his power dry up. Maybe I'd somehow poisoned the Messiah. He was very seriously looking for me. So I fessed up. It was me. And as I walked back a little closer to him, I felt myself trembling and shaking, excitement and relief and fear and all the things. And I fell on my knees in front of him and I spilled the whole truth, words tumbling out, telling this man what a great thing he had accidentally done. And here's what he said to me. Daughter, your faith has rescued you. Go in peace. Be healed from your misery. Yep. There it is. I am a beloved daughter. Not judged. Not alone. Not worthless. Not untouchable. Not dirty or shameful. 
I touched the Messiah without his permission. And he had healed me without even meaning to. And he sensed me. Then he looked for me. And when he saw me face down in the dirt, trembling with fear, he eagerly listened to my story. He heard my whole truth and named me daughter. I was no longer alone. I had a family, even if I hadn't met them yet. It had been so, so long since I'd been loved like that. If I've still got one more minute, I'd like to leave you with one final thought. There's an old unfunny joke, I've no idea who started it, but apparently, I'm known as the daughter because I'm the only one so full of herself to think that she's worthy of God's son. I'm sure this was meant to put me in my place, but I love it. Well, yes, I do carry myself that way. I carry myself like the daughter of the king. I carry myself as one who's past all second guessing and shame. I lived way too much of that in a 12-year period of my life that I never intend to go back to. Absolutely, I am the daughter. So I pray with all of my might that God might help each one of you to come to know His ennoblement. That each one of you might realize the vast riches, privilege, and honor that are yours through Jesus who's forgiven us absolutely everything we've ever done and is healing us from absolutely every malady up to and including death itself. In all my lowliness and shame, he lifted me up. May he lift each one of you too. In your station, in your bearing, and in reality forever and ever. May each of you come to know your special place in this beautiful, warm family of ours as daughters and sons of the Most High God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Perihididomi. We are reliving these stories to help us keep living the story. I'm Zach McCoy, one of the pastors at Redemption Church in Houston, a church committed to helping absolutely anyone experience profound and holy intimacy with Jesus. You can find us on social media at RedemptionHOU. You can subscribe to all the episodes of this podcast wherever you listen, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. We'll be back with a brand new episode in two weeks. Hope to see you then.